We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Monday, July the 20th, 2020. On today's show, we continue along with the positioning at previews today. I'm breaking down the Gamecocks' tight ends heading into the 2020 football season. I'll look back at 2019. We'll go over the tight end position, most approved, best overall. Season will be successful if and give the overall grade as well. Also, some news and notes to get into your listener questions and a fantastic conversation. Brett Ciantia of Pick 6 Previews joins me to talk about his preseason magazine, his projections for the Gamecocks, Will Muschamp, the overall projections for this season, how he thinks college football will look at 2020, and much, much more. Before we get into everything, this is a broadcast to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek, the best ticket-buying app by far, the only ticket-buying app I use, and the only one I recommend. Go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP. You're going to save $20 off your first purchase, guys. Sports are on the way back, all right? Sports are coming back. I was actually at a baseball game on Saturday night. Felt so awesome. My first live sporting event since March, like mid-March. Felt so good to be back. But sports across the board are coming back. Football, baseball, basketball, golf, NASCAR, whatever it may be, you're going to need your tickets. Fans are getting in the seats. SeatGeek is the way to go. They got a great ticket buying process. They walk you through it. They actually make sure you get the best deal possible. They rate the tickets for you based on the type of deal you're getting. So you're going to know right up front whether you're getting ripped off, whether you're getting a steal. Listen, guys, everything ticket buying, but everything for sure is going to be done through your phone, through apps. You're not going to be exchanging tickets with secondhand marketers through guys that are selling you tickets on the street. That's not going to happen, right, with all this COVID shit. That's not going to happen. You want to buy your tickets through the app. SeatGeek is the go-to app for me. It saves me the most money. It makes the ticket buying process super simple, super easy. So, again, that is our friends at SeatGeek. Go download the SeatGeek app. Go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP, that's S-P-U-R-S-U-P, to save $20 off your first purchase. Let's get it. Always appreciate you guys tuning in. Have a packed 
show. I'm very, very excited, guys. I'm in a great mood on this Monday. I had a hell of a weekend. I'm going to tell you guys right now. Had a hell of a weekend. Saturday night baseball game, watching the Columbia Blowfish, watching some Gamecocks. You guys probably saw the videos on social media. Fantastic night. It felt so good. felt so good to be back at a live sporting event. Went tubing on Sunday. Um, baked in the sun for a while. Felt very good. Hopefully do it again soon. Great company, great friends, great drinks, whatever. Felt Had a good time. Had a great weekend. And this arguably, guys, might be one of the best weeks of 2020 to this point. You think about it. MLB's back. MLB's back this week. Last chance you. The new season drops this week. NBA's back the following. Like, I'm fired up, guys. Sports are coming back. I'm here to inject optimism in your day, in your Monday. Yeah, you're thinking, oh, another Monday. No. This isn't any other Monday. Sports are coming back. Be in a good mood. And Gamecocks coming back, too. We're talking tight ends today, guys. We're talking tight ends. Very excited to talk tight ends. Before we do, a couple housekeeping items really quickly. First things first, I talked about in the intro, Brett Ciantia of Pick 6 Previews on the podcast. Extremely excited. If you guys aren't familiar, he has his own college football preview magazine, sort of like Phil Steele does extremely informative. You guys will hear me talk more about that magazine specifically later in the interview. But if you want to go purchase the magazine, which you definitely should, we'll give you a ton of tidbits, ton of information. If you're like me, I'm a big preseason magazine guy. Gets me fired up, gets me ready for the season. He's actually running a promo just for listeners of this podcast. He's running a promo just for you Gamecock fans. Use the promo code SPURSUP. On pick6previews.com, when you're buying the magazine, use the promo code SPURSUP. Going to get 20% off your purchase. It's worth every penny as is, but especially for 20%, yes, sir. You should definitely go get it. Use promo code again, SPURSUP, S-P-R-S-U-P, 20% off your purchase, pick6previews.com. Again, you'll hear that interview later in the show. A ton of great tidbits from that interview. Um, also, of course, as always, if you have not done so, rate, subscribe, go leave five stars, leave your feedback, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, whatever platform you are on. Go leave your feedback, go leave your thoughts. If you have anything you like about the show, dislike, things you want to see more of, less of, whatever, that's a great place to do it. Also, if you're listening and you're not subscribed, be sure to to hit that subscribe button. Guys, if you could do me a huge solid, if you're listening to this podcast, please take five seconds out of your day. Go subscribe to the YouTube channel, the Spurs Up show on YouTube. Take two seconds. Do me that huge solid. I'm trying to get to 1,000 subscribers because once you get to 1,000, you can start doing YouTube live on other uh, devices, if you will. So I don't have to do it from my laptop. I can do it on my GoPro, on my phone. I'm trying to bring more content to you guys. We need to hit 1,000. We need to hit 1,000. Go hit the subscribe button. And again, subscribe to the podcast. Follow on social media. You guys know what to do. Also, one more thing. Want to make everybody aware, um, the Twitch. You guys are probably familiar with the NBA 2K and the MLB The Show seasons I've done with the Gamecocks. We are doing the playoffs this week. Everything will be wrapped up by end of week because I'm trying to get into instantly football simulations like we did last season uh, or last preseason, whatever. So be sure to follow that. going to be a lot of fun. I'll be announcing – the, uh, the start times for that will probably be primetime night games just because we're in the playoffs. But be sure to follow along with that as well. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right, let's dive into the tight ends, a very intriguing position heading in the 2020 football season. Looking back at 2019 to start, I think the biggest storyline for the tight ends in 2019, in my opinion, was the loss of Keel Pollard. You know, Keel Pollard was a guy I thought balled out in the spring game in 2019. I expected him to be a big piece of the Gamecocks offense, one of Jake Bentley's favorite targets. He gets injured 
in the offseason, in the preseason, if you will, out for the season. I thought it was a huge blow. I think it's something, you know, a lot of people don't talk about. It's one of those storylines that's sort of forgotten from the 2019 season because so much other stuff happened with Jake Bentley's injury and Ryan Linsky playing and just other things that went down. We don't speak about Keel Pollard's injury, and I think it was a big blow to the Gamecocks offense. I mean, a guy that was a proven pass catcher, was good in the run game, just a solid all-around tight end. Probably a guy that would have been an NFL guy, to be honest with you. Um, but looking back at the guys that did play, obviously you get Nick Muse, the transfer. He had 17 catches, 158 yards. Kyle Markway, though, leading the way, 31 catches, 349 yards, two touchdowns. We all know he declared for the NFL draft. Um, Nick Muse obviously battled the injuries, so that's why his numbers, I thought, were so low. Um, had troubles at time catching the football. I thought his hands were – Definitely left something to be desired. And then you had Keyshawn Tony, who was a true freshman last year, one reception on the season. Meeting the tight ends, heading into the 2020 football season. I want to start. I'm putting Adam Prentice in the tight ends, the Colorado, Colorado State transfer, excuse me, Mike Bobo guy. Um, I'm putting him in the tight end group. I think he's listed as a running back, at least in this magazine that I'm referring to. He's listed as a running back. He's more of like an H-back. He's a hybrid guy. I think he's going to play some tight end, play some fullback. He's like the Patrick DeMarco type of guy. Um, but I'm going to list Adam Prentice in the tight ends, okay? So we're going to go, let's see, Adam Prentice, uh, the senior, going down the list, senior Chandler Farrell. We got freshman Travion Kenyon, freshman Kevon Mullins, Kevion Mullins, my bad, senior Nick Muse, sophomore Patrick Reedy, junior Will Register, freshman Chuck Strickland, and freshman Keyshawn Tony, like I mentioned. All right, most approved, best overall season will be successful if overall grade. You guys know how we roll. Let's start with the most approved out of this group. And to me, I just talked about him. Again, I'm putting him in this category because why not? I don't really consider him a running back, and I don't think he'll factor in to the running back position. But to me, the most approved amongst this tight end group is Adam Prentice. Again, Colorado State transfer. He's a Mike Bobo guy. I think bringing him in, there were really high praise about him in spring ball while they were having spring practice. I think he should be a really big part of this offense. I think he's really Patrick DeMarco 2.0. Um, you take a look at him, great blocker. You take a look at some of his film from Colorado State as well. He can catch the football. Guy that is good with the ball in his hands. I expect him to be a big-time playmaker in this offense. And, again, he's a Mike Bobo guy. Him and Colin Hill both understand the terminology. They understand what Mike Bobo wants to do offensively. They get this guy. So I expect Adam Prentice, again, I expect Mike Bobo to utilize Adam Prentice a ton. And again, will he play a true tight end position? I don't know. But I think this best fits him. I think he's going to be an H-back type of guy. I think he's going to be a guy that, again, they utilize, get the ball in his hands, get him in space. Again, Patrick DeMarco 2.0, I think of him that way. So, again, Adam Prentice to me, though, a lot of expectations, a lot of hype. I know a guy that I'm expecting, you know, again, as a, uh, as a senior, you know, a guy who's a veteran, a guy, again, who has been in the Mike Bobo scheme. I'm expecting him to do big things. He should. I think there's a lot of expectations on him, at least coming from me. So, again, to me, Adam Prentice, the most approved amongst this group. Best overall, I'm going to go with Nick Muse. Um, Nick Muse is a guy, again, he, he has all the measurables. Should be one of Ryan Holinsky's favorite targets, whoever is behind center. Should be one of their favorite targets. I think a guy that can be a third down threat can be your guy that you go to on third and six, third and seven, and get eight yards. You know what I mean? But he definitely – I think he's got a lot to prove as well as far as catching the football. Um, you know, a guy, again, that struggled at times with drops. You know, I was just watching the replay over the weekend of the South Carolina-Georgia game. And, you know, he was a guy that South Carolina hit a couple times on third down. Had a good game in that game. And, I, again, that's the type of threat that I think he can be. Um, he needs to stay healthy. He needs to stay on the field. And I think if he can do that, 
Um, again, he'll be one of Ryan Holinsky or Hovers Vine Center's favorite targets. I think a guy, again, he's got the measurables, a big body type of dude, um, needs to be more consistent catching the football, but again, battled a lot of injuries last year. I mean, you take a look, 6'4", 250. Um, a guy that South Carolina should be able to use well in the running game, in the passing game, really all around. So Nick Muse, to me, is the best overall player from this position. Um, season will be successful if, and I really just touched on it, but to me, the season will be successful for the tight end group if Nick Muse simply can just stay healthy. Uh, I think there's no secret he's going to be the guy. He's going to be the go-to guy. Listen, I don't think, you know, there again, this is another position where there's a lot more questions than answers. I mean, outside of Nick Muse, um, you know, Key Mullins had what, a catch last or Keyshawn Tony had a catch last year. There aren't a lot of guys that have done much in this tight end group. I mean, again, Kyle Markway leaves. You know, your leading tight end had 17 catches for 158 yards, which is Muse. But outside of that, you had a guy with one catch. And you don't have anybody else that even really played last year. Um, Will Register is a junior. You know, he's a guy that's a veteran. But, you know, outside of that, it's, it's coming down to Nick Muse. He's going – and I think this is going to be an offense, too, that runs a lot of two tight end sets. So, it'll be interesting to see who the other tight end is um opposite of Muse but if Nick Muse stays healthy I think this tight end position will be good enough I think Muse will be listen I don't think he's a Hayden Hurst I don't think he's a Jared Cook I don't think he's a Wesley Saunders I, I don't think he's a you know he's going to be one of the best tight ends in the SEC but I think he can be a solid option for Ryan Holinsky for whoever's behind center I think he can be a solid option for South Carolina again especially on third downs I thought he was decent in the running game last year so again South Carolina's not going to blow anybody away with their tight end play necessarily unless you know maybe Maybe Keyshawn Tony does step up, or Travion Kenyon does step up, or Will Register has the best, you know, best season of his career. I mean, um, you know, Patrick Reedy, the sophomore, 6'7", 260. Maybe he steps up. Um, maybe Chandler Farrell, heck, I don't know, the converted offensive lineman. Maybe he steps up. But, uh, no, I think if Nick Muse stays healthy, I think this will be a successful year for the tight end group because I think he'll be the one carrying the, uh, the bulk of it for the tight ends. Overall grade for the tight ends, I'm going to give him a C. I'm going to give him a C. Again, nothing flashy, nothing crazy. Um, again, I think Muse is a solid option. I don't think he's one of the best tight ends in the SEC or anything. And, you know, again, what type of season he'll have, we'll see. But I think South Carolina will utilize the tight end position. I think Nick Muse, you'll see his catches go up, his yards go up. He should have a touchdown or two this football season as well. But uh, I'm going to give the tight ends overall grade a C for the tight ends, for sure. Um, all right, news and notes, really quick, just one thing. We're talking about Nick Muse. I feel like this is the Nick Muse show today. Uh, Nick Muse named to the John Mackey Award watch list. John Mackey Award watch list, which is given to the best tight end in college football. So definitely high praise, high accolades for, again, Nick Muse, a guy that, you know, battled injuries last year, has a lot to prove, though. Um, very excited, very, very excited for Nick Muse, for the potential he has, for sure. Um, and again, who knows? Maybe he'll get there. Let's see. Uh, all right. Listener questions really quickly. Only have a few. I'm kind of disappointed. I know it was the weekend. You guys are all busy, blah, 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 whatever. Let's see here. Let me pull these up really quickly. We have one, I think one from Instagram and a few from Twitter actually. So let me go to Instagram really quickly. Thomas underscore Brady underscore H. Okay, Thomas, Thomas Brady H. What do you think about the ACC's pod system? Also, what is our most talented position or A-plus position? Um, so the pod thing, listen, I, I feel different. I feel I'm happy about it because I love seeing that the conferences are making a true effort to play this season. You know what I mean? Like, I like seeing that. Um, the pod concept is very interesting, I guess. Um, Strange is a good, is a good word. 
Um, you know, I, I've, it'd be like a concept like Clemson would play Georgia Tech twice. I mean, if you can play in a pod, why can't you play a normal season? That, that's what I don't understand. If you can play in a pod concept, why can you not play a normal season? It just makes no sense to me. So, I, I mean, listen, I, I like the fact that they're getting after it. They're taking initiative. They're making sure we're going to have a season, but I don't know. It seems kind of weird. Uh, David underscore Barnes 76 says, what is Nick Muse's potential statistically? Also, what former Gamecock tight end is Nick most like? I think his potential, I think it could be a three or 400 yard receiving guy, have two or three touchdowns. I mean, I think similar to what Kyle Markway did again, I don't think Nick Muse is going to blow anybody away or, you know, be like a seven or 800 yard guy or be like the guy, you know, Randy Moss's son, Thaddeus Moss from LSU. I don't think he's going to be like that again. I don't think he's going to be a Hayden Hurst or Jared Cook, but I think he can be a solid option. I think he can be a good down, third down threat for South Carolina. Um, I think the potential, again, is certainly there for Nick Muse, but we'll just have to wait and see it. But I think that potential is definitely there. He could be a three- or 400-yard guy, two, three touchdowns in the season. Just be a solid option. I think that would be a solid season for him. Um, what former tight end does he most remind me of? Oh, that's hmm. – I, I don't know. Because, again, I don't think he's like a Hayden Hurst or a, um, a Jared Cook or Wes Saunders. Or, I'm trying to think. I mean – He's, he's kind of like Markway. I mean, I think he's very similar probably to Markway. I mean, you know, if I had to pick one guy, I think they probably have very similar styles. Um, yeah, I'd probably just say Kyle Markway. I mean, I, I think that's, that's pretty close, so, in my opinion. Um, got one from Twitter. Terrence Harris, Nick Muse has been on the watch list for the John Mackey Award. Your thoughts? I mean, yeah. I mean, listen, I mean, I, I think the guy has talent, just needs to stay healthy, stay on the field. I thought, again, he had a solid season and limited play. He's just got to stay on the field, so – can he do that? We'll see. But, you know, it's always nice to see your guys getting recognition, preseason accolades in the preseason. So, very excited for him. And, again, I think Nick Muse, Nick Muse like I said, can be a solid option for this Gamecocks passing attack. You need as many pass catchers as you can because we talked about the wide receivers on Thursday. And, again, you have a lot of guys. You have a lot of questions, more questions than answers, it seems. And, you know, if you can get some, some help from your tight end position, like I said, if you can get three or 400 yards receiving and a couple touchdowns, you know, that's going to be big. That's going to be big for your passing game. So, no, it's great to see, though. Great to see. Always love your guys getting preseason accolades and, you know, just hopefully he can play up to it. So, um, all right, fantastic show, guys. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Have an awesome conversation. Awesome conversation. Brett Ciancia, Pick 6 Previews, his magazine, picksixpreviews.com. Again, if you go to his website and purchase the magazine using promo code SPURSUP, you're going to get 20% off, guys. So be sure to do that. Again, I bought it without the promo code. It's worth every single penny. You guys have definitely seen me reference his stats a couple times. As far as, like, in-depth analysis, I, this guy's as good as it gets, really. I mean, he, he is good as it gets, one of the best in the business. So be sure, check him out. Follow him as well. He's on Twitter at Pick 6 Previews. Be sure to check him out. Um, so enjoy this conversation. I'll brought to you by our friends at SeatGeek. Again, go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP. You're going to save $20 off your first purchase, guys. Again, sports are coming back. Gamecock football is going to come back. We're going to have fans in the seats. You're going to, you want to get your tickets through SeatGeek. They have the greatest ticket rating system on the planet. Makes it super simple, super easy. Scalping is a thing of the past. It's not going to happen. You're getting all your tickets through an app, and you want to make sure you're getting the best bang for your buck. SeatGeek is the way to go. So, again, that is SeatGeek. Go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP, S-P-R-S-U-P, to save $20 off your first purchase, guys. Enjoy this conversation. Brett Ciancia of Pick 6 Previews.
All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show, as you guys know, I'm a big preseason magazine guy. We have been diving into these preseason magazines all offseason. It's a great, time, great way to kill the time during the offseason. I'm very, very excited to be joined by a man, Brett Ciantia of Pick 6 Previews. Just to give you guys a little bit of background, his accolades, I'm very excited. We're going to talk South Carolina football, the SEC, break everything down, the, out the landscape of college football, how it might look this fall. But I'm very, very pleased to be joined. Brett Ciancia of Pick 6 Previews. Brett, appreciate you taking the time, my friend. It's a pleasure to have you on. Yeah, thanks, Chris, for the invite. Um, and, you know, it's, it's great to finally be on a South Carolina show. Uh, it's my first one. I've been on 50 shows, actually, the last two weeks since the book launch, uh, my 2020 preview book launch. So I'm excited to talk Gamecocks uh, with a new audience here. And I, I see you've built up a pretty sizable following. A uh, ton of respect my way from what you've built there, too. Um, you know, starting from scratch, a one-man show. It sounds familiar to what I've built, too. So mutual respect there. And uh, excited to talk some SEC, some Carolina, and, uh, and, you know, get introduced to your fan base here. Absolutely. Well, Brett, I really do appreciate that. I, I, like I said, the, the list of accolades for you, my friend, and like you said, you, you started out one-man show, started in 2012, launching the Pick 6 Previews. You are the founder. You had a co-founder as well, but now you're a Heisman Trophy voter. You've been on different radio shows, TV shows, podcasts. You're an FWWA member, um, voter for different awards for college football. Just, But just give some people a little bit of background about yourself, about Pick 6 Previews, kind of how you got started, where you find yourself now. Um, where they can find the magazine, because, again, I know a lot of my listeners, they enjoy the Lindy's, the Phil Steele's of the world, the Athlons, all those different magazines. But yours as well, we were talking off air, extremely in-depth, um, very informative, a lot of different stats. I love the way it's organized as well. The team breakdowns are very in-depth. I had a blast reading through it. You have a great breakdown, not only in your favorite team, but all the other teams as well that maybe your team plays against, or if you're just a big college football junkie like myself, you want to have all this information. So just tell people more about yourself, how pick six previews kind of came to be and where they can find your magazine and your information. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate uh, the accolades there and the, and the praise. Uh, it means a lot. And uh, yeah, so I launched pick six previews in 2012 as a college football preview website, uh, the power five conferences. I uh, wanted to take a deeper dive than what you see uh, nationally because, you know, some of the national analysts, they do a good job, but a lot of times it's, it's vague. It's too general. Uh, they like to talk about just, you know, Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State. But um, I like digging into all 66 of these Power 5 teams and, and Notre Dame and BYU. So the first seven seasons, I was actually graded the most accurate BCS Power 5 predictor in the country. Uh, that's by Stassen.com, who grades these publications like the ones you mentioned uh, and other sites online. So first seven years, most accurate title. Uh, in 2019, I put together my first actual comprehensive book here, uh, you know, two pages per team, 1,500 words per team, uh, all those stats and graphics and analytics. But the key being that I put it back into a readable form. You know, um, it's kind of boring to read about, you know, Carolina's 0.125x and, and x metric. You know, that, that, that gets boring after a while. So you know, what does that stuff mean? I have the analytics there, but really put it into readable terms, X's and O's. Uh, long story short, after the 2019 book, I was selected to become a Heisman Trophy voter. Uh, and here we are now, 2020, my second annual book, launched two weeks ago, like I said. I've uh, done about 50 shows, radio, TV, podcast, and uh, excited to, to be talking here. And I think uh, one of the ways I try and differentiate myself from the other magazines, um, you know, what goes into my book is a ton of film study, uh, calls with head coaches, calls with coordinators, calls with local media and, and, and radio and podcasts want to dig into the details. I mean, I hope that pops off the page, really get in the roots of this thing, program history, coaching schemes, stuff you're not going to find on newsstands. So uh, that's, that's the kind of niche I've tried to carve out. 
Yeah, the first bit of detail, Brett, I want to jump into. And the first thing that really, really jumped out at me in regards to South Carolina, I want to talk about you've gotten your book in the uh, first couple pages, if you will, talking about the recruiting rankings, the five-year average, and then you go into the player development and the win conversion, which I think is really, really interesting. I want you to explain, want you to explain that in just a second because you find South Carolina – and I think most Gamecock fans could probably imagine this 20th as far as the five-year average as far as recruiting ranking. South Carolina's, I would say, held their own, done a pretty good job on the recruiting trail. But when you take a look at the win conversion, which is jumped off, it just jumped off the page at me, you find them 64th. Um, tell people why that's important and what it says to you about the South Carolina program in regards to player development and how they're taking their talent that they're getting in the recruiting side of things and putting it on the field and actually converting it to winning games. Yeah, for sure. So with recruiting, my take on it is, you know, uh, do the recruiting services miss on a prospect here and there? Yes, of course. I mean, that happens all the time. You see some misses. But over the course of 20 to 25 uh, commitments in a class, and then when you start to stack three, four, five years of commits, you know, 85 to 100 prospects, they're more right than wrong in aggregate. So I'm a big believer in, you know, the law of large numbers with recruiting. Now, that's just the starting point. This is where I kind of stray from the pack. I mean, recruiting is very important. It's the lifeblood of a program, but it only mm -hmm. starts there. You got to be able to recruit towards your scheme. You have to have actual solid schemes themselves. Um, you know, strength and conditioning. Um, you know, all those all those buzzwords you hear like culture and fit and commitment, all of that. I, I tried to put a number onto those buzzwords, and it may sound simple, but no one else is really looking at it. And what I do is I compare that five-year recruiting average. You know, what they're signing on signing day the what the services tell us the roster should look like rankings wise and then comparing that to what's happened over those three four five years on campus because something's got to something's got to happen on campus so mm -hmm. are they develop developing mm -hmm. that talent into nfl uh, draft picks in april uh and then also on the field obviously in the fall are they converting that talent into wins um because you know this win conversion metric you touched on it's converting your five-year recruiting average to your wins on the field over the corresponding years what it tells us is, yeah, South Carolina's third worst in, in Power 5, 64th out of 66. It means that, yeah, they're recruiting at a pretty good clip, but the, the schemes aren't working. There's constant coordinator shifts. Uh, you know, th there may have been some transfers. It's just not converting onto the field. And that's not, it shouldn't be a surprise to Carolina fans um, because with top 20 talent coming in, they should be right at the top of the – or towards the top of the East Division. It's mm. tough to, to topple, you know, Georgia and – and Florida, but this should be right in the top three every year with top 20 talent. So um, that's why they're pretty low in win conversion at, at the, you know, at, at the current, uh, in the current years. Yeah. And I think it's a perfect segue, Brett, into what is probably the biggest storyline of the 2020 football season, which is Will Muschamp's job status. Um, because, you know, like you're saying, the win conversion, everything, it's measured from 2015 to 2019, that window and 15 being Spurrier's last year, okay. But the rest of that has been Muschamp's tenure. And, you know, my thoughts on Will Muschamp are very well documented on the internet as far as, you know, I'll be honest with you, Brett. I was, I was on Muschamp's side. I, I won't say that I was a Muschamp guy necessarily, but I certainly wasn't calling for his job or anything going into last season. And then the loss to North Carolina to open the 2019 season broke me. It, it really did. It broke me. It completely flipped me from – uh, supporting Muschamp, thinking, no, you can't fire a coach into his fourth season. You need to give him time to build a program, too. I went fully on the fire Muschamp train. I just felt mm -hmm. like when you had eight months to prepare a team to get them ready to go and your team came out as flat as they did, especially after an embarrassing loss in that exact same stadium in a bowl game, 
and you have no better an effort than that. You lose to Mac Brown, it's fir- his first game back in college football. You lose to Sam Howell, who's a true freshman quarterback, a damn good one, I might add, but a true freshman in his very first game, and you let him drive 95 and 98 yards to beat you. That flipped me on the entire Will Muschamp thing. And obviously there were other reasons why South Carolina went 4-8 and eight with the injuries to Jake Bentley and other injuries across the board. But it screamed to me that South Carolina needed a change at the head coaching position. When you take a look at Will Muschamp, um, I'm not sure what your opinions were on him when he was at Florida or after that whole saga went down. But coming into this season, I, I don't think there's anybody in the country that would argue he's not on the hot seat. But What's your overall take on the Will Muschamp situation? And again, we're going into a very interesting 2020 football season where we don't know what the season's going to be like. And obviously the pandemic is going to have its effects and stuff like that. And I want to get into that with you a little bit later in the show. But assuming all is normal, what what do you think? Because again, I think this is a put up or shut up tight year for Will Muschamp. I think it's a year where if South Carolina misses a bowl game, um, I think he should be fired. Again, in a normal year, I think he should be fired if South Carolina misses a bowl game. Because like you said, with the win conversion stuff, South Carolina's recruiting at a good enough clip, in my opinion, to at least make a bowl game. There just really is no excuse. Mm-hmm. They're recruiting mm-hmm. well enough, in my opinion, to be a 7-8 win program at, at minimum, at least on a consistent basis. Are you going to have some down years? Sure. But I think you're recruiting good enough talent to be at that clip. And again, I think that's where a lot of fans frustration comes because when you have a team that is talented enough to go on the road and beat Georgia in Athens, which one of the most shocking upsets in the history of college football, I I honestly, I picked Georgia to win that game, I think by three touchdowns. And I thought I was being kind of nice and South Mm kind of goes in there and gets the win. But when you see a team that goes into Athens and beats Georgia has the talent to do that, but then loses to app state at home. That screams coaching to me. There's nothing else that says to me than coaching. But getting back to the point, your overall take on Will Muschamp, the job he's done thus far, and just your thoughts on him as a whole and the program he's built going into his fifth season in Columbia. Yeah, I was waiting for you to bring up the App State loss because to me that that was the final straw. I was actually surprised to see him survive it. Mm -hmm. Um, So to take a step back, I'm a big believer in letting a coach build his program, give him three, four, five years, really let his recruiting come through, his coordinators come through. I think it's impossible to really uh, evaluate a coach on a year or two. You see that too often in programs like Tennessee and Texas and Nebraska and, and Miami, that they're constantly firing and rehiring and mm-hmm. kids are transferring. But, but long story short here, yeah, so, you know, you got to give Muschamp some credit. He inherited a pretty tough situation there, uh, filling in for Spurrier. You know, not only was it the, the program's high point under Steve Spurrier, but towards that t- end of the 2015 year, uh, the program was, you know, going through somewhat of a downturn. It was a really rough year. So I give him credit. Uh, 2016 is a rebuild. 2017, you know, brought him to nine wins. Got the big bowl, bowl win over Michigan. Um, you know, some wins over Florida, Tennessee, and Georgia in, in past years. But just seeing it go down from the 17 high point, that should have been the level that it would sustain. Be around, like you said, that seven, eight, nine win mark. Um, especially in a division where Tennessee recently has been down. Uh, Florida went, you know, before Mullen was going through some turmoil. Um, so there were wins to be had in this division, Missouri too. Uh, there were some wins to be had and to be putting out, you know, four win teams like this, losing to not only UNC, like you mentioned, and that game, that was a lot worse than the 24 to 20 score would suggest they were outgained mm-hmm. by 200 plus yards. Yep. Um, and then the app state thing. I mean, I, I have a ton of respect for the non AQ and App State, they built a you know a successful transition up to FBS. But I don't care, man. This is a this is an SEC program at home uh, with a top twenty you know rated roster coming in. You you can't lose that game. 
um, and then to see blowouts to end the year again. I really thought he'd be fired. So, you know, fast forward to 2020, he's got another coordinator hire here on offense. He, you know, you can argue he's missed on his first two, maybe third time's a charm, but he's going to need – now, I can't even use win totals because we don't know how many games we right. played, but I would have said he needed you know, a six, seven, eight win season to, to survive, but mm. um, we'll see. Now, the worst part is for him and for Carolina fans, this schedule really heats up. I mean, mm. the, the draws from the, from, the, uh, from the West Division are brutal, uh, and then now you have – I talked about kind of a down period for the SEC East. Those programs are now surging. I mean, Florida is in the playoff discussion along with Georgia. I have Tennessee and Kentucky both in the top 25. So there are not many gimme wins across, the, uh, across their schedule this year. Yeah, no doubt. I, I agree with you as far as the surge on the SEC East and stuff like that, and I want to dive more into that. One thing, I don't want to give away too much from your magazine, Brett, because I want people to go buy it, but something you brought up, and it kind of hurt my soul when I read it, I'm not going to lie, but you talked about – South Carolina, and I think Gamecock fans will just find this very interesting. South Carolina has an all-time winning percentage of 510, which is good for 51st out of the 66 Power 5 programs. Four full seasons in, Will Muschamp is 26 and 25, which is that is exactly a 510 winning percentage, the exact same. So, I mean, it is, yeah, it is crazy tough. how that has lined up like that. It really is. Yeah, it's one of those numbers. I mean, I'm, I'm digging through, like I said, program history, current stock, uh, X's and O's, coordinator grades, everything. So when something like that pops out, I got to get that into print. Um, you see it oftentimes. I mean, uh, another example within the same division, Vandy. I mean, Vandy mm -hmm. historically was a brutal program. I'm not trying to compare Carolina to Vandy. Right, I'm right. saying uh, in terms of a program returning to its historical mean, they had the James Franklin years where you're like, oh my gosh, Vandy, are they going to become the next you know, academic football power like Stanford and Notre Dame? And then a few hires later, they're back to their old roots. So um, with Carolina, yeah, historically it was a 500 program, 510 to be exact. Muschamp is right at that clip. Um, you know, another note about Muschamp that really stood out, another little factoid is um, when you're looking at his offense, you know, they're, they've always been slow-paced, and they actually are pretty strong in that, uh, in that style. In games mm -hmm. when he scores 20-plus, they're 55 and 18. That's a 75, <laughs> you know, 753 win percentage. And the crazy part of that stat is really 20 points nowadays that's a really low bar for a 75% win rate. Uh, the average FBS team scores 30. So, mm. you know, maybe this Bobo hire, if you want to put the, the optimism, the Kool-Aid goggles on here, um, maybe the slow pace offense with Bobo actually helps here. I mean, maybe slow the offense down, make it a field position type thing, make it complementary to the defense. Uh, that's when Muschamp's teams actually succeed. So, um, you know, for all the great stats that the McClendon offense put up, you know, vertical pass game and high tempo maybe actually back at their roots is a you know a slow pace tempo for for Muschamp's defense who knows that offensive stat is insane 55 really and 18 is. when Muschamp's team score 20 or more points like you said not 30 20 20 is three touchdowns is not that much in a college football game these days for sure I want to dive into that Mike Bobo hire with you Brett obviously um, the Gamecocks parting ways with Brian McClendon which Listen, I, I think it's an upgrade for sure. Mike Bobo with much more experience. I think he's a bit of a quarterback whisperer working with Aaron Murray, Matt Stafford, David Green, those guys at Georgia. But I'm very much bred in wait-and-see mode with Mike Bobo. I, I think it was a situation where when you went out to get an OC, the, the OC knew this is going to be possibly a one-year lease because we all know, again, nobody's stupid. We know the situation with Will Muschamp and what he's got to do at South Carolina or he's out the door. And that OC is going to know the same thing. 
I'm very much in wait-and-see mode because I feel like every single offensive coordinator that Will Muschamp touches turns to to crap. I mean, that's the only way I can put it. I mean, I don't understand how Brian McClendon goes from being this standout OC in 2018. Probably the best offense Will Muschamp has ever fielded. And in 2019, he forgets how to coach offense. And, again, there were different injuries and stuff like that, like I said. But, again, you bring in Mike Bobo. I've been telling fans, I think it's going to be a much – more run-heavy offense than people are expecting. I don't think South Carolina is going to be in the spread. You know, you bring in the five-star running back, Marshawn Lloyd, and we had Marshawn on the show a few months ago. He talked about one of the reasons he picked South Carolina was playing time. And, again, it's a guy that could have went anywhere. He talked about playing time, and I fully expect him to be the day one running back, a guy, again, I think could have a fantastic career at South Carolina. But I think they're going to be a 60-40 run offense. I think they're going to depend on the run. And if South Carolina cannot run the football – it's going to be a very long season, but I'm very much wait-and-see mode with Mike Bobo. I'm not sitting here touting that he's going to be the guy that revitalizes and saves Will Muschamp's career. Just talk about your thoughts overall on the hire, what your thoughts were at, you know, what your thoughts were of Mike Bobo as the OC at Georgia, as the head coach at Colorado State, and just, you know, what's your thoughts on the hire at South Carolina? How do you think he fits in back into the SEC and under Will Muschamp? Yeah, I think you're spot on with that, saying it's going to shift a bit more run-heavy. I mean, if you've watched any Georgia football the last 20 years, uh, <laughs> it looks like an offense that's still stuck in 1980 the last time they won a national mm-hmm. title. Now, for what it's worth, that's won them a ton of games. Um, now, Mike Bobo himself, he's been a part of that Georgia program 21 of those 22 uh, seasons. So, yeah, I mean, you know what you're getting. You're getting that power run game. You're getting the eye formation, uh, a ball control offense. Uh, hopefully he develops up and builds a big O-line. Um, and I think that you're right that, uh, you know, that this is going to be featured around Lloyd, Marshawn Lloyd, the five-star coming in. Um, he looks incredible. He could be the next, uh, you know, standout back for South Carolina. But, um, yeah, the writing's on the wall. That's what you're getting. And what we just touched on uh, in the last question was about Muschamp's, you know, slow-paced offense. I think this fits right in. Um, and I think also with Bobo, you get a guy with, you know, 15-plus years of, of play-calling experience under his belt. Uh, something, you know, McClendon didn't have coming in. Mm-hmm. And I know that 2018 was a great year offensively, but uh, you started to see some of that youth and uh, inexperience without play calling in 2019. So, um, yeah, I think that is a major thing. It's going to be, you know, more under center. Now, I saw that being talked about a lot, but uh, you look at uh, Helinski back in high school, he actually has experience playing in a similar offense. I mean, mm-hmm. he was in a, uh, an under center play action style offense his sophomore year. So, um, it's it's actually kind of funny that you have to point that out, uh, that like an under center offense is rare nowadays. Um, it's just assumed that everyone in high school is playing the spread. So, uh, yeah, you have a guy that has experience in that system. Uh, he played well at times. You know, he, he won the job based off his throwing ability. Um, so we'll see once he's back and healthy uh, in a new offense. Now, now this is kind of – it's on a South Carolina issue, but on a, a macro level, mm-hmm. you know, I'm covering all these programs. And one of the things that, uh, you know, that went into it this year, especially in this weird offseason without with no spring ball, with no summer camp, uh, no fall, well, a limited fall camp now. Uh, trying to install a new offense, I'm wondering about it. I mean, I'm really looking towards programs with uh, coach continuity, scheme continuity, and roster continuity. So uh, we'll see how effectively they can install an offense this quickly, or, or if they're going to have a quarterback battle between him and Luke Doty, how quickly that can get settled or you know determined. And really a, a minimal offseason that we've never seen before. 
Yeah, I know Georgia fighting that same issue as well with them incorporating the new offense with Jamie Newman or JT Daniels, whoever takes the job. I, I do want to talk to you specifically about Ryan Holinsky. We've been doing position unit previews on the podcast here, and I, I broke down quarterbacks last week. And obviously, Ryan Holinsky's QB1 going the season, in my opinion. I, I'm not going to be the one bold out here saying Luke Doty or Colin Hill is going to take his job. But tell me if this is a fair worry or not, Brett. My, my biggest worry, and listen, I, I'm, you know, if you can run the ball effectively, I'm down with the Mike Bobo scheme. But what concerns me at a school like South Carolina, and being a South Carolina fan, I can admit this, I feel like, and I like Ryan Holinsky, and I think that he can have a long, successful career at South Carolina. I'm not saying he can't. But I feel like at a school like South Carolina, at least in the current time, where you're not recruiting top five, top ten classes, and we just talked about the importance of recruiting. When you're not recruiting top five and top ten classes, having a mobile quarterback in the spread helps those teams with lesser talent. I don't think South Carolina is good enough to play 10 on 11 and have a guy like, you know, again, Holinsky, with all due respect, I really like him. He's running through quicksand back there. He's not the most fleet of foot, if you will. And having that under center eye formation, I think that's a lot of Gamecock fans' biggest worry is that you're going to try to run the Georgia offense without Georgia's players. Like, that's Mm -hmm. the biggest issue. You don't have Todd Gurley in the backfield. You don't have – David Green or Matt Stafford or Aaron Murray. You don't have those five-star offensive linemen across Mm -hmm. the board, if you see what I'm saying. But as far as the quarterback position specifically, I think Ryan Holinsky is the guy. But just talk about what you saw from him last year, his game coming in this season, because it's been a mixed bag what I've seen in the preseason. And talking about the other magazines and your magazine, I've seen some people high on him. I've seen some with very much skepticism on him and, you know, having the real conversation that, hey, Colin Hill, Luke Doty, really could factor into this quarterback rotation, if you, will, if you will. Just talk about the quarterback situation at South Carolina, Ryan Holinsky's game, and I guess what you sort of expect from that group. Yeah, so I think first off the bat, um, trying to evaluate Ryan Holinsky, it's kind of lost nowadays with all these uh, – when the big-time freshmen come in and, and, you know, and are incredible right away. That never used to be the case five, mm-hmm. ten years ago. Yep. You're looking at guys – I mean, Justin Fields as a, as a redshirt freshman, but even Sam Howell, a true freshman. Keaton Slovis, USC, a true freshman. So it's almost like the – you know, we've forgotten how rare it is for a freshman to come in. Um, so he was thrown into the mix here. Uh, you know, true freshman. He was, he was strong early on, battled with some injuries. I mean, he showed some guts against Alabama. Uh, yeah, but at the end of the day, he played like a freshman. I don't think that that should be the worst thing uh, in the world. I mean, uh, of course, we're, we're comparing these guys to some incredible freak athletes, but, you know, he played like a freshman. So when you look at it across the SEC, he was 11th in quarterback rating out of the 14 mm. starters uh, across the league. So, you know, bottom, bottom tier. But, again, he's a true freshman. So I, I'm encouraged to see him in his second year. Um, I, you see a ton of growth from year one to year two as a starter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, I mean, yeah, I think that having Doty there, it's going to, it's going to push him for better or for worse for the program. So, um, yeah, I think the jury's still out. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, rain on his parade. Uh, I want to see him in 2020 in his second year. Um, you know, because again, it, it's hard to, to evaluate these guys as true freshmen. Um, but, but yeah, so, and then, and then quickly to your point about trying to build up a, a Georgia type offense, I totally agree with you. Um, if you want to go and play smash mouth football against some of these other SEC teams, remember, you're not building this in the Big 12. Right. Um, you know, Kansas State's able to do the smash mouth thing because no one really has the strong defense in the, in the Big 12. Now, doing that against the SEC, especially some of these, you know, Florida, Georgia, Tennessee now defensively is getting up there. Kentucky's been nasty. And then your crossover games, A&M, LSU, I mean, there's five stars all over that defense. <laughs> so, 
it's going to be hard to outmuscle some of these programs, especially without the, you know, the top three recruiting classes that Bama and Georgia pull in. So that is a great point not being talked about. I'm glad you brought that up. For sure. Let's, let's move to the defensive side of the football, Brett. Really, Will Muschamp's bread and butter, if you will, what he's known for. The first thing, uh, kind of on a side note here, your, your preseason All-SEC teams, I got a little bit of a bone to pick with you, Brett, because you had on the third team, you had Zach Pickens and Jamie Robinson. My question to you is, why no love for J.C. Horn or Israel McQuamu? I mean, both, 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 listen, and I've been tough on those guys, and you can ask anybody, I'm as tough on those guys as anyone you'll find in South Carolina circles because of the hype, because of the expectations. But both guys that by different services have been projected to be preseason – or, excuse me, projected to be first-round draft picks possibly and next uh, April's NFL draft. Just talk about the reasoning. Why no, uh, why no Horn or McQuamu on the, uh, the preseason All-SEC team? Yeah, well, I'll be honest. With some of these uh, second and third teams on the all-conference list, it's, it's pretty tough to do. It's kind of a crapshoot at times. Uh, when you look at the SEC on defense, the first team uh, secondary is, is freaking loaded. I mean, yeah. uh, Derek Stingley, he was an All-American as a true freshman. Uh, you know, Stokes and LeCount in Georgia and Patrick Sertain in uh, Alabama. Uh, that first team was pretty locked down. Second team, I started to look at that Florida secondary. You had uh, Kyer Elam, mm. who really impressed as a freshman last year towards the back half of the year. Marco Wilson has some NFL looks, too. Uh, Jacoby Stevens. Damari Richards down in Texas A&M, too, another, you know, four- or five-star blue-chip kid. So, first two teams were loaded. I mean, now you look at third team, Cardell Flott out at LSU and Kerry Vincent, the other LSU, the Nickelback, uh, they were deserving of, of mentions. I wanted to get South Carolina one spot on the D-backs um, when it came down to it with only two spots left. And what it came down to to me, I mean, all three of those guys had great cases from what we've seen on the field. Um, you know, what really stood out with Jamie Robinson for me, I mean, you're talking about an all-freshman guy, an all-SEC all mm. freshman guy. I see huge jumps. I just said it about Helinski, but I see huge jumps from that all-freshman team in the SEC to their second year starting. It's really hard to do, uh, you know, earning accolades as a freshman like that. So I look for a, a bigger ceiling uh, maybe this fall or at least, you know, a, a high ceiling for him. So, but, yeah, I wanted to get uh, South Carolina definitely one of, the, one of the spots on the all-SEC team, D-backs, because I think it's a pretty strong secondary I mean, uh, you know, three picks himself, Mukuamu off from in that Georgia game. I mean, that, that itself is, is, uh, is good enough for a spot, too. So, yeah, tough call there. I had the secondaries rated pretty – or South Carolina's secondary rated pretty highly in my unit ranks. I had them sixth in the SEC. Um, but, again, you're going against some of the best secondaries in the country. So, um, in other conferences, you probably have all three guys in there. It's tough in the SEC. No, I, I had to give you a little bit of ribbing for that, for sure. <laughs> uh, trust me, I got some on Twitter, too. It's, it's, it's tough. I mean, it is, it is really tough going through all these leagues. I, w I will admit the, uh, the All-American – well, not the All-American, but the All-Conference teams really are, are a tough exercise, yeah. especially linemen, too. But, you know, do what I can. No, for sure, for sure. No, it's all good. So you talk about the South Carolina defense. You mentioned here South Carolina returning 72% of their defensive production. Really the big losses on defense for South Carolina. T.J. Brunson, the linebacker, D.J. Wanham, who is your buck edge rusher type guy, and then Javon Kinlaw, which will probably be, in my opinion, the biggest loss on the defensive front. A guy, again, that you have on your third team preseason All-SEC team, Zach Pickens, is a guy that I expect to make a huge jump um, as far as going from year one to year two, you know, it was kind of a, a luxury for South Carolina last year in the sense that, you know, your five-star prospect didn't really have to – you didn't have to throw him in the fire necessarily. He got a year to develop, to get bigger in the weight room. Just talk about what you see from Zach Pickens. Again, 
His buddy Jordan Birch from down the road in Hammond High School is coming out as well. So there's some really good young talent. You talked about Jamie Robinson. A lot of good young talent on this South Carolina defense, but sticking with Pickens, just talk about what you see in his game and what you expect from him because I think this Gamecocks front seven uh, should be one of the strengths on this team yet again in this 2020 season. Yeah, for sure. I think the front seven is a strength. Uh, defensive line, definitely a strength, even despite losing a top 15 pick, like you said, losing mm-hmm. Kinlaw. Uh, most programs losing a top 15 pick like that, it's, uh, it, w- it would kind of crater the, the position unit. But, you know, if you want a testament to how strong and deep the defensive line uh, unit is this year, like you mentioned, you're bringing in Jordan Birch, a top 10 overall prospect, five-star kid, uh, played D-end in high school. This line is so strong that they don't even need to play him there. They, uh, you know, Muschamp wants to move him back to that buck spot. Uh, it speaks to the, to the depth you have at defensive end. Uh, in D-line. I mean, Pickens, I think, yeah, he's going to start at defensive tackle. He's going to be a star there. Um, you know, Aaron Sterling adds some star power himself mm-hmm. at end. I mean, the, the unit was so crowded that they're going to put Birch into that buck, uh, mm-hmm. get him out in the space a little bit. He's athletic enough. He's got that unique skill set. Um, so when they're in three-man, that's that's the kind of guy you can also bring as a fourth rusher. Uh, when they need him to be in the flats and coverage, you can pull that off too. Uh, I don't think by design, I don't think the buck position really is – something you're going to see in, you know, in man-to-man or, or huge mm-hmm. coverage responsibilities, but enough to do both. So, I mean, yeah, so, so to me, them putting him at Buck away from his natural or high school position there really speaks to the strength. So, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I like what I see at a defensive line, front seven-wise, and then we even touched about the secondary. So, I mean, you're looking like a pretty strong defense. At least it has the capability to, to, to take that step. Um, now, one thing I want to note when I look at all these numbers and everything – um, I think that they're going to improve drastically in the per game metrics, mm-hmm. you know, the total defense and yards per game, the rushing per game, the difference, you know, that, that's going to be a factor of uh, the pace of play being slowed down by the offense. But mm-hmm. to really take a step, I want to see them improve on the per play, you know, because mm-hmm. that's what I really look at is the per play metrics. Um, you know, how effective are they on uh, third downs, uh, creating turnovers? These are both areas of emphasis that Muschamp mentioned in the preseason uh, before it got canceled. Um, you know, they got to be creating turnovers too. I mean, they lost the turnover margin a, t- a ton of games last year, really didn't generate a, a bunch of turnovers. That's something that with a must-champ defense you want to see. So as a unit, it looks great on paper. The, the personnel is certainly there to, to take a step forward. Got to see it improve on, uh, you know, third downs, uh, generating turnovers, uh, and, and, uh, and winning the field position battle. So a lot to like. Yeah, that, that was something I wanted to dive in with you, Brett. You talked about, you know, you're a statistics guy, and you mentioned Muschamp's defense as far as statistically the the turnover battle, if you will. I mean, you think South Carolina's best year under Will Muschamp, 2017, I think they were like plus 20. I mean, it was it was a crazy number. One of the best in the country, uh, if I remember correctly, as far as the turnover margin. You had five turnovers you took away against Michigan. I mean, it was just the year of the turnover for South Carolina football, and I know a lot of Gamecock fans sort of expected that to be the norm, and we really haven't seen that since. When you're diving in these stats, because again, Will Muschamp, you know, when he, and I think another thing that kind of sticks in the side of South Carolina fans, when Will Muschamp was brought into South Carolina, we knew his issues offensively. We, we understood. I think Gamecock fans knew sort of what they were signing up for, knew that side of the ball would be a work in progress. But the thing with Will Muschamp was he's a defensive guy. He's going to have elite defenses. You see what he did at Florida. And then I think we could both argue Jim McElwain rode his defenses, his defensive players to a couple SEC East titles. Um, were you surprised diving in the numbers at all? Just sort of 
I guess how average the South Carolina defense has been under Muschamp, especially, I mean, year four. You would think by year four <laughs> that this would be, you know, a typical Will Muschamp defense, top 25, top 20 defense in the country, you know, a defense that is winning South Carolina games, an elite defense, if you will. And again, it kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier, Brett, with the win conversion numbers in the sense of I look at this South Carolina defense and there are NFL bodies on this defense as evident of last year. You had three draft picks. But there are NFL bodies on this defense, and I'm not sure we're seeing that talent utilized to its fullest potential. I mean, I think specifically the safety position, which is Will Muschamp's position. I don't know if you knew that, but he is the position coach for the safeties. And they have been arguably the worst position on the defense since he got to South Carolina. I mean, how much did it surprise you? How much does it surprise you when you look at those numbers and just see, even in a year last year, Brett, where I would say people would say, hey, that was the best year South Carolina's had defensively under Muschamp. I'm looking at the numbers right now. They're very pedestrian. I mean, we just call a spade yeah. a spade. They're very pedestrian numbers for a, for a Will Muschamp defense and a guy like Muschamp who's supposed to be a defensive guru. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot there I want to touch on. Um, yeah, so when you make a hire like Will Muschamp, like you said, you know that the limitations you're getting on offense, but you do it because you want to be excellent, just elite on one side of the ball, at least lock down one side of the ball. Uh, that's the point of a hire like that, and we haven't really seen that. Uh, yes, it's been above average at times. Um, in my per-play opponent-adjusted percentiles, I know it's a word salad, but uh, there's six, they're 68% last year. I mean, it's, it's good. It's above average, but this isn't, mm. you know, some of those clowny defenses were 95th percentile, 91st right. percentile, right? So uh, it's not as elite as you'd expect. So another feature of the book on each uh, team page there, I have all my, my metrics, my defensive metrics and everything, uh, and they're color-coded just for a quick mm-hmm. glance, you know, green good, red bad, and yellow average. They're, South Carolina defense is the only unit in the country where the whole thing is literally yellow. It's all yeah. average. It's all right mm-hmm. in the middle. Now you can. There's two sides of that you can say. Hey, I mean, it's they're not they're not bad, but they're also not elite. Um, right. Yeah, and 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 a, a comparison. You know, I do all 65 teams myself. Uh, a comparison from another league, which maybe you guys can draw some positivity from, would be Pittsburgh, where they made the same kind of deal. They they brought in a, a defensive guru ace, uh, Pat Narduzzi, who was under um, uh, Mark D'Antonio out of Michigan State. All those no fly zone defenses, all those great secondaries and NFLers. Uh, they made the same kind of move. They're like, all right, let's bring in a, a defensive ace to at least lock down the defense. Uh, his first four years, they actually got worse on defense at Pittsburgh. Uh, <laughs> but for what it's worth, and I was on his – I was lighting up the hot seat over there too saying, hey, if he can't click on defense, fire him. But to his credit, last year, his fifth season, 2019, they were a top five defense in America. So maybe – and this is, might be a stretch, but maybe it does take a fifth year here for Muschamp to get it to click because – that's what you want. That's what you need when you make a hire like this. Mm-hmm. Um, you need that, you know, if he's a guru on one side of the ball, you need top 15, top 10 uh, performance. It's got to be able to carry a program to eight, nine, 10 wins. It can't be average. You know, mm-hmm. if, if, the strength of the, if the strength side is average, you have some issues. So I agree with you. It is shocking seeing all that yellow pop out and, you know, the slightly above average uh, percentiles, that kind of thing. Uh, big year here, big test for him to put some of these five stars to work and see if they can get, you know, top 25, top 15 caliber. So would you say it would be a bigger indictment for Will Muschamp this season if the defense doesn't perform up to par versus the offense? Because, again, year five, his defense, I mean, new coordinator this year, so maybe you have somewhat of an excuse, but kind of like you're saying, I mean, if the defense isn't, 
I mean, if it's a if it's a 60th ranked in the country defense, that that to me, <laughs> it's just not working out. Like, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, you need to see the defense take a big step. Um, offensively, now, you know, I, I like giving a coach uh, time to build. I like giving him a few coordinator hires. But all right, we're on the third hire here. First two were whiffs. Uh, if this one ha- if this one struggles, I, you might have to give him a mulligan year, given that it's a an empty off season with no time mm-hmm. to install. Right. So maybe they get a benefit of the doubt offensively, but. But, yeah, you're right. Fifth season here, if that defense can't make a top 25 or top at least 40, you know, start to look like a strength, um, yeah, that would be a bigger indictment in my opinion. For sure. So, Brett, let's move and talk about the landscape of the SEC and sticking with South Carolina. I posted this on social media because I knew it would get a reaction. I thought it was a great lead up into our conversation. I posted your SEC East predictions. I want to go down these. Uh, and I'm sure people that are listening have seen these on social media. You have Florida winning the SEC East, which I definitely want to dive into that. But Georgia second, Tennessee third, Kentucky fourth, Missouri fifth, South Carolina coming in at sixth, and Vanderbilt coming in at seventh. Um, we'll start with the East first. I, I know Florida really is – I feel like they're the sexy pick this offseason. You know what I mean? Like everybody – it's like the popular pick. Everybody <laughs> wants to go with Florida, which scares me as someone – you know, it's going to be making these picks as well. It scares me and thinking everybody's picking Florida. Maybe I should probably pick Georgia, which is the safer pick. But, again, Florida being the sexy pick, what Dan Mullen has done. But South Carolina coming in at sixth. Again, year five of Will Muschamp. Not what people wanted to see when he was hired. Not what I would have expected. Just talk about why you slotted South Carolina there. Your overall projections, first off, in the SEC East. But how you see South Carolina fitting in, why you picked them in that sixth spot. Yeah, it's funny, Chris. I lock in for six months from December till June, uh, you know, writing this thing, researching, finding every fact I can. It's, it's complex. But anyway, what I try and do is kind of shield off from the outside world all the other opinions and picks. Uh, that's not because I'm, you know, whatever you want to call it, selfish. I, I just don't want to cloud my judgment. I want to right, get my thing right. published. And then I spend all summer reading the other ones, too. Don't get me wrong. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, so I thought I had a gem here with Florida. I thought, man, I, I have, you know, it's Dan Mullen's third year. Um, you know, Todd Grantham's third year. The thing with Florida that really stood out to me is they've always had this top five defense nationally. I mean, you see it every year on NFL yeah. Draft Day. They're DBU. They're in that conversation. They're recruiting, you know, top five and top ten classes. The defense has always been there. That's not going to change. But finally, the offense is starting to click, and they finally have a proven quarterback guru with Mullen. Uh, he did it at Utah with Alex Smith. He did it at Mississippi State with Dak Prescott. He even did it here in Gainesville 10 years ago with uh, Chris Leak and Tim Tebow rotating them around like a genius. So, uh, finally, what, what, what stuck out was, yeah, finally they have the offense to match it. I think it's a complete team. Kyle Trask could be the best in the, in the conference there. Um, you know, a ton of weapons at receiver and tight end. So, yeah, I went with Florida. Uh, they also missed Alabama in the crossover game, which hmm. Georgia has to handle. And uh, with Georgia – yeah, there's a ton to like with Georgia. Uh, I'm not going to lie. It's probably one of the best defenses in the country. Could be a top three unit. I think 10 starters back or nine starters back from a really great defense last year. My issue with them is the offense, kind of like we t- touched on, trying to install a new offense in a short offseason. Um, I like the hire. I think that maybe in a, a few years it'll start clicking. Mm-hmm. Uh, they brought in Todd Monk, and he wants to go more vertical pass game. Think of Oklahoma State back in the early 2010s, Brandon Whedon. That's what he, he, was, the, he was the coordinator there. Um, and I mean, before I, or after I published this, they, uh, they just got JT Daniels immediate eligibility that might've factored mm-hmm. in. Cause I think now they have some stable quarterback play. Yep. Um, yeah, but so you see a, a pretty decent drop off from Florida, Georgia as playoff contenders down to Tennessee and Kentucky. I'm actually pretty high on both. I have them Tennessee third, Kentucky fourth in the division, both in the top 25. 
Uh, what really stands out to me for both is their offensive lines. Kentucky's fourth in my national offensive line ranks, Tennessee fifth. I mean, these are, um, you know, there's all, all American candidates all over their, their lines. And that's the difference between Tennessee and their past teams where, you know, they always had the hype on signing day with Butch Jones and, the, mm. you know, he's all over the ESPN signing day special doing brick by brick or whatever it was called. <laughs> um, and it didn't, it didn't pan out. But the difference being with Jeremy Pruitt, you saw what he's done at Alabama, those, those, uh, those title teams and I think 15 and, and uh, those playoff teams in 16 and 17, great coordinator. You're seeing it on defense start to click. Uh, but finally on offense, it's actually some strength at offensive line. It was a weakness for probably 10 years. But finally, the offensive line's a strength. They're going to get a power run game back, and I like it. Uh, Kentucky, similar deal. It's just kind of an under-the-radar program nationally. No one really covering them. Um, very strong in the trenches on both sides of the ball, and they're strong enough to kind of grind out eight wins a year. So mm. they're steady there. They also get their quarterback back, um, Terry Wilson. If you, if you watched any yep. Kentucky last year, they were basically running a high school Wildcat offense there with Lynn Bowden. <laughs> yeah. and to the credit, it worked. I mean, it was incredible. But So I think a more complete team, a more sound team there. Um, and then it really came down to a five and six debate between Missouri and Carolina. I mean, I could really make the case for either. But when I really had to dig deep and, and make a choice, I looked at the cross-division schedule, and it's almost a two-game advantage that Missouri mm. draws well, what, where, uh, where Carolina has to play – top 10 A&M and top 10 LSU, hmm. uh, Missouri draws two teams with coaching changes and with Arkansas who's one of the worst in power five and Mississippi state who's trying to install Mike Leach's air raid in, in no off season. So hmm. uh, almost a two game head start. It's not even an indictment on Carolina. It's just that with the schedule this year, I give Mizzou a nod there, a fifth. For sure. Let's jump over to the SEC West, Brett. You've got Alabama winning the SEC West, Texas A&M second, uh, LSU, Auburn, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and Arkansas uh, rounding out. LSU, last year's national champion, finishing third. Obviously, they have a ton to replace, but LSU, or excuse me, Alabama returning to what we would say is their rightful place. I, I feel like I had somebody tell me one time, you don't make a lot of money betting against Alabama, so they're a safe pick every single time. So I do not blame you, sir, for going to Alabama and the SEC West. Um, but overall, you've got Florida-Alabama meeting in the SEC title. Before we talk about that, just give an overall quick breakdown on the SEC West, why you chose Bama to win it, and then kind of the rest. You mentioned A&M and LSU, both top ten teams. The West is absolutely loaded yet again. Yeah, it's going to run through Alabama again. I mean, it looks like the best offensive line in the country. It's a, it was a Joe Moore Award finalist last year. Uh, Najee Harris, you know, first-team all-conference running back. Two of those great receivers are back. So it looks like a perfect offense as long as Mac Jones continues to progress. Uh, you know, he was a lot of short passing in, in his first couple games, but started to show the vertical game in the bowl game against Michigan. Uh, defensively took a little bit of a slide. They had never allowed 45 points under Saban to an SEC team. Happened twice in November alone. Now, a slide, I put that in quotes because for them that's still a top 10 unit. Uh, I think they're a sound team both sides of the ball. A&M, third-year bonus under, uh, under Jimbo Fisher there, third-year – with Kellen Mond, who's a nice dual threat and could be the second best QB in the conference. Um, a lot of just roster continuity there. Uh, 19 starters back, I believe, or 18 starters back. So look for them to make a jump. LSU, I call it the, a one-year wonder, and that's not to knock them. It was, it was absolutely incredible what they pulled off. But when you look at it, uh, Joe Brady's gone, the pass game coordinator. He's back to the pros. Aranda, the D coordinator, over, uh, taking over at Baylor. Burrow gone, 14 starters gone, playing on Sundays. Uh, it's going to be tough to reload uh, with, with no offseason there. So a slight step back, but, you know, a slight step back in the West, it'll set you back to third. Um, 
And then in fourth, I have Auburn, a team that uh, it flashes, you know, they flash great some weeks and, uh, and are inconsistent in others. I saw them get pushed around in the bowl game against Minnesota. Mm. Uh, and then they lose three defensive linemen. Two of those were top 50 picks. And then four of their five linemen on, on, on offense. So their trenches are totally needing to be revamped. And, uh, and that's going to set you back to fourth in the SEC West. And then when it came down to it overall, yeah, I have Florida beating Alabama in the SEC title and Florida heading to the playoff. Now, before your listeners laugh at that and, and turn it off, um, I was the only uh, preseason publication in America last year to not have Alabama in the playoff. Uh, 19 of 20 had them. I was the only one without it. So that one hit. Mm. Uh, we'll see if, if lightning strikes twice here with, with Bama missing the playoff. <laughs> um, I just think that that uh, defensive uncertainty is too big this year. Mm. I mentioned a little bit of a slide. You're going to see a bit more of a slide on defense with their entire secondary gone, both edge rushers gone, top 50 picks uh, with Anthony Jennings and Terrell Lewis gone. And then, yeah, I, I touched on Mac Jones, still a question mark. We'll see. So it's not Tua. So uh, I have Florida as the more complete team with more roster continuity heading into 2020. For sure. So I want to move to the playoff picture because you do have your playoff predictions. And like you said, you are one of the most accurate guys as far as picking uh, these games, picking the playoff, if you will, since you started in 2012. The playoff, you have Clemson number one, the one seed, Ohio State two, Florida three, and then Oregon four. We just talked about Alabama and Florida facing off in the SEC title. You obviously have Florida winning that game. Uh, just really quickly, just talk about your reasoning for those four. Again, I hate seeing Clemson there, but hey, they are one of the best teams in the country, no doubt. But anyways, um, Florida in there as well, which, again, I think is a very interesting pick. And, by the way, earlier I was not trying to uh, to rain on your parade as far as the Florida pick. But definitely a popular pick. And Florida's a very, very good team this year. And Dan Mullen doing a fantastic job. But overall, just your reasoning for those four. And then who do you have right now winning the national championship? Yeah, so we'll start with Clemson. I mean, that's an easy pick. Um, I hate to say it on this show. but uh, No, it's fine. Really, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Take it as an indictment on the rest of their conference where I don't really mm. see a team competing with them. They're going to kind of coast, especially if this Notre Dame game's canceled. I don't see any challenger on their, on their schedule. So they're the most likely playoff team. Um, then Ohio State, I, I like them as they kind of distance themselves from the Big Ten. Um, you know, just, just complete on both sides of the ball, five stars everywhere. Those two are kind of chalk. Florida, I thought, like I said, coming in would be a bit of an outlier. That seems to be picking up some speed nationally. Uh, touched on them. Kind of the outlier, the roulette chip, if you will, this year is Oregon. Uh, no one has them in their playoff. And, you know, I, I guess I got a little bit lucky here because coming into the year, they were slated to play Ohio State. And back when I was running my numbers, I mean, it was all looking like Oregon should, should be a playoff caliber team. Um, but right away, you see that game against Ohio State, and it's natural instinct to just throw them out and say, hey, they're going to lose that game. They're done. But my logic was, hey, even if they lose to Ohio State, are they strong enough to go 9-0 within the conference? Um, it's a natural instinct to throw them out when you saw Ohio State on the, on the September schedule. Are they good enough to then run the conference and go 9-0 and against the Pac-12? I think they can. Uh, you know, in a, in a season when some of those usual powers are going through transitions, you have Stanford down, Washington State loses Mike Leach, uh, Washington doesn't have an offense, they miss Utah in the crossover. So a lot to like about Oregon. Uh, they were a top-five defense last year. They bring back 10, 10 of 11 starters. That one vacancy is being filled by not just one, but two five-star linebackers. So you're starting to see an Oregon program built in the trenches. It's no longer that Chip Kelly gadget style, you know, uh, speedy offense that comes up short. They are built in the trenches out from Mario Cristobal. He's an offensive line guy himself. They have an outland winner and left tackle, Penny Sewell. And uh, I think this team really takes a jump. 
And now, you know, I published this before some of the cancellations came out in, in recent weeks. Uh, without Ohio State on the schedule, I don't see them with a potential loss. They're probably going to go undefeated. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I hate to – and now I'm not trying to say that's a good thing. I, I wish all these games were played. I feel bad for the student-athletes and all right. the small towns that might suffer from this, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the campus towns. But, but I mean, hey, as, as a playoff pick, uh, the odds for Oregon to make it are drastically improved without that game. So, yep. we'll see. No question. So speaking on Clemson kind of brings me to something with South Carolina, Brad. I want to go back to Carolina. You know, a lot of Gamecock fans, and again, it's I think that's one of the toughest things uh, for South Carolina fans is what Georgia and Clemson are doing. Your neighbors, the success they're having, whatever. And that's what Steve Spurrier was so good at able to do. He was able to beat those guys. You know, you had the five-game winning streak over Clemson. He was whooping Georgia's butt, it felt like, every single year. <laughs> um, but you talked about South Carolina fans have watched from a distance – the program that Clemson has built with Dabo Sweeney bringing in the talent they're doing. And again, I get tired of the week schedule ACC conversation. We all know it's there, but give Clemson their due credit. They're one of the most talented, one of the best teams in the country. I don't care what conference they play. And that conversation to me just gets exhausting. It gets very old. But for South Carolina, listen, I don't think Will Muschamp is the long-term answer at all, but you mentioned they are a 5'10 historical program, Will Muschamp right now, 26 and 25, with a 5'10 clip. As far as the long-term projection for the South Carolina program, again, whether it is Muschamp, which I don't think it is, or whether it's someone else, what do you think it will take, and do you think it's even a possibility for South Carolina not to reach the heights that Clemson has reached? Because, again, I don't even want to put that out there. South Gun has never done it. But to become a consistent eight to nine win program with maybe every two, three, four years, you catch lightning in a bottle, you have a veteran team or something like that, and you win 10 or 11 games and you go to Atlanta. Do you think that is a realistic possibility? And what do you think it would take for the South Gun program to achieve that type of consistent success? Yeah, well, there's two things. I think in, the, in uh, talking Clemson, uh, this wasn't even a, a recruiting breakthrough. A lot of times when you see a program take a major step forward, it's recruiting-based. This time it was kind of, um, you know, it was a real coordinator-based movement. I mean, mm-hmm. Bringing in Brent Venable is probably the best defensive coordinator of the last decade. Uh, that, that brought them a top-five defense year in and year out right away. And that was with top 20 and top 15 recruiting classes. People forget that. This was not, you know, a top-five recruiting class every year kind of program. So they built this thing on, you know, three-star kids, some walk-ons. Now, granted, there were a ton of four- and five-stars as well, but this was not the Alabama talent profile. This was a top-15 recruiter. So it shows you the importance of a, a coordinator hire and a head coach being able to, you know, to, to, to identify that um, and, to, and to be able to maintain that too because you see at other places where the coordinators are leaving every two years. I don't know how, but Dabo has been able to keep Brent Venables there for, what, nine years now, eight years mm-hmm. Uh, and part of it, I know they just signed signed his son to a scholarship, but uh, <laughs> so he's there for the long term. But even before that, I mean, he had head coaching offers all over the country. But uh, whatever whatever it was, he wanted to stick around and build this thing. And now it's just getting started because now I, I touched on that. Now they're landing five stars everywhere. I mean, now mm-hmm. they're at that recruiting pinnacle. So, yeah. uh, so, so to get to South Carolina, it's two things: it's, it's coaching and coordinator hires. You got to be able to hit home runs on those uh, and lock them down for a while. But really, the name of the game in the SEC, to me, it's, it's recruiting. It's just numbers. Mm. Uh, I touched on it at the top of the show how, you know, you might miss on a kid or two, but over 85 scholarship athletes, it's more telling than not. you got to be competing with some of these Florida, Georgia, uh, even Tennessee recruits at a top 10 mm. clip. You know, just to be competitive, you got to get that recruiting profile up. 
and I know you're, you might be, uh, you know, worried about Clemson. Kind of the team I'm more worried about in South Carolina's backyard is actually UNC, the way they're recruiting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because yep. North Carolina as a high school prep, you know, high school football state is becoming somewhat of a hotbed, uh, whether it be demographics or just geography shifts, I don't know, but, or just an increased football presence. That's becoming a nice high school hotbed. And the ability that Mac Brown, um, you know, under the previous staff, Fedora, they used to lock in only 10% of the homegrown blue chip talent to UNC. Mac Brown signed 85% already in this top 20, or in this 2021 class. Mm. So borders are closed now. No longer able to go into North Carolina and, and steal some, uh, some recruits in your backyard. So that's, that's troubling to me for South Carolina. Yeah, so I- sto- story of the game's recruiting. Uh, get that profile up and get some coordinator hires and, and see how it can take off. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I, I 100%, I think, what you said about especially UNC. And, you know, again, you lose that game to them open the year last year, and it just seems like it's, it's been, a, no. it's been a, a landslide effect ever since. I, I'm going to get you out of here, Brett, before I do, though, last thing. Um, your take overall, obviously, again, we're living in an unprecedented time with the pandemic. I, I'll tell you this. As each day passes, again, we're, we're talking here July 16th, 746 at night. With each day that passes, I, I, I don't know maybe it's if, if it's ignorance or if I'm just an extreme optimist, which maybe I am a little bit of both, but I do think football season's going to happen. I think what you're seeing with the SEC, and they're going to so many links to put together a package where the season can work, whether it be conference only, uh, whether it be conference only plus a rivalry game, because again, I, I – you know, I'll take whatever to get football, but I think it's kind of silly that South Carolina and Clemson, Florida and Florida State, Kentucky and Louisville, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, can't play. But either way, you know, you're seeing these conferences, SEC, ACC, kind of go out of their way to put together different packages or, if you know, plans, if you will, um, to make a season happen. And again, the health and the safety of the student athlete is first, like you said. I, I agree with you. I, I really – my heart goes out to these guys that are going to lose their seasons at these smaller schools that may lose their programs. I mean, it's terrible what's going on, obviously, because of the pandemic. But right now, Brett Ciancia, your prediction right now, do you think we have college football? And if we do, what do you think? Do you think there are fans? Do you think it's a conference-only season? Like, I know that nobody knows, but I'm putting you on the spot either way. If you had to guess, what do you think – college football will look like in 2020 yeah well I think there's a lot there um health and safety first like you said if there's a feasible way to do it I say we got to make it work uh college football is so important to this nation uh it's important to obviously the student athletes the coaches Mm -hmm. the the communities the fan bases the alums I mean it's it's more far-reaching I think than any other sport Mm -hmm. uh even more than the NFL just the, the personal connections that everyone has to their alma mater uh, you know, we, we, we need this football season for more reasons than, than just financial and, um, you know, and again, health and safety first. Don't want to overlook that. Yeah. But I think we got to make it happen. Now, I like that you're an optimist, too. I, I, I try to remain optimistic. I believe in, uh, you know, the American resiliency. We're going to find a way to get through this, mm-hmm. uh, find a way to get some semblance of, of, you know, of a season together, whether it even be five, six games. There's got to be something, something ha- happening this fall. Um, it's been very uh, strange looking around on Twitter, seeing a lot of these national, you know, college football writers and, and blue check guys uh, really talking down to their to their audiences, really mm-hmm. remaining so negative every day. Um, I know the Twitter is not reality, but you know, when you're <laughs> scrolling through and seeing these negative take after negative take, it's like you wonder if they even like writing about sports. But um, <laughs> but no, long story short, I'm an optimist. I think we can figure out a way, whether it be you know an, an insane amount of testing. Hopefully, a month from now. Cases are coming back down. 
again, I'm not a specialist in any of these topics. Mm-hmm. Uh, just uh, remain optimistic. It changes day to day. But at the end of the day, I hope that we get uh, something together this fall because, you know, everyone involved with it deserves it. These kids work so hard. It's so much of their, of their life. Got to have it. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. We're going to learn more day to day. Again, like you said, mid-July, it's hard to tell. Um, but I, I hope we have some kind of season this fall. Yeah, Brett, I think I'm just wired that, you know what, if you think positively, you're not guaranteed a positive outcome, but I can guarantee you if you think negatively, you're going to get a negative outcome. So, yeah, I'm I'm with you. I don't really understand the guys that uh, you act like they don't want it to be played. (laughs) I don't know. I know, right? I'd rather live on the positive side and be wrong, but exactly, um, I'm not going to, you know, pretend I'm an expert on this stuff or talk down to the audience. It's very bizarre. So, yeah, let's, uh, let's keep it positive, you know, move forward. We'll see. Yeah, confirm. Chris Phillips and Brett, Brett Ciancia are not doctors. We are sports guys. So, But, Brett, really do appreciate you taking the time, man. This was an absolute blast. Again, if you guys have not done so, check out Pick 6 Previews. Brett, I'll let you tell everyone just where they can find your preseason magazine. If you've got – I know we talked about you might have a promo code for them, something like that. But if nothing else, let everyone know where they can get the magazine. I'll tell you guys personally, again, I already talked about it in the beginning, but – this is fantastic. So much depth, so much in-depth analysis, so many statistics, everything you need to know about your team, every other team. And for the price that you're charging, it has the best bang for its buck as far as any of these preseason magazines. But again, let everyone know just about Pick 6 Previews, where they can find it, where they can get their copy. Yeah, thanks. That's huge praise. I appreciate that and for taking a look. Um, yeah, so for anyone interested, head over to Pick6Previews.com. That's all spelled out. I'm also at Twitter, at Pick6Previews. But on the webpage there, I have a few sample teams. I know it's a newer product, uh, but I have all the, you know, you'll you'll be able to see the level of detail I go into for all 66 teams, the set of info stack graphics you get per team, Uh, a couple testimonials over there too. I just got one back from College Game Day's Chris Felica, the bear, uh, calls it a must read. That was pretty cool getting that. But yeah, for anyone interested also uh, to get back to this fan base, I really appreciate Chris having me on. Just type in Spurs, S-P-U-R-S at checkout. Uh, get a nice discount code, and uh, and it, it, it'll be great connecting with more Gamecock fans. Absolutely. Brett Ciancia, Pick 6 Previews. Brett, really do appreciate you taking the time in. Would love to have you back on midseason during the season sometime to, uh, to break down what should be a very fun and a very interesting college football season in 2020. Brett, appreciate it, man. Yeah, for sure, Chris. Anytime. Thanks. Absolutely. So, appreciate you guys tuning in. We will talk to you next time. Thanks so much. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. 
the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.